0: As you turn to Ephesians chapter 2, let me uh, pray before we dive in. Father God in heaven, Lord, I thank you for this morning. Uh, Lord, a time to gather as your people, with your people, to proclaim your excellencies back to you in praise and in worship. Uh, God, to proclaim your truths over one another as we um, reflect and read and and sing and fellowship with one another. Um, God, now I pray that uh, as we open your word, your Holy Spirit would stir up our minds' attention and our hearts' affection to you. and God, I pray that you would reveal within our hearts the the hopelessness and brokenness that sin brings, Uh, but God, also, moreover, that you would show us the the beauty of the gospel, the good news of the person and work of Jesus and how this changes everything for us. God, I pray that personally and in our marriages and families we would respond to this good news. And God, as a church, uh, a community, a corporate body, gathered together, we would respond to this good news in the way that brings you glory, that brings us joy and advances the gospel of Jesus. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is God's word. Friends, the good news is that Jesus takes us from death to life. He moves us from an old identity to a new identity, taking us from hopelessness to joy and this is good news for us the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the church at Ephesus who was uh, it was a thriving economic center uh, educational center philosophical center religious hub of that part of the world of the day and Paul is writing uh, to this young church reminding them of their new identity that they have in Christ This new identity that's not defined by the sins and wickedness of their past or their culture, nor is it defined by even the good things about their culture and tradition or their heritage. But rather, the wickedness of sin and and cultural upbringing, perhaps, as well as the good tradition, uh, both are not good enough to change your identity. But only Christ can do that. So as Paul writes to this young church who is, who is, is growing and has is, is just started meeting in this big, thriving city, Paul is, is reminding them of the good news of Jesus that changes everything about who they are and how they are to live in the midst of their wayward culture. This is one of my favorite chapters of all of Scripture, and I'm excited that we have time together today and in, uh, next week and the weeks following to look at chapter 2 because uh, it, it lays out there the goodness of God. Um, for us to see. But the first thing we have to see that Paul uh, writes for us is the hopelessness of death. The first three verses uh, could be pretty discouraging. If these were the only three verses of the Bible that you ever saw, you would probably be like, uh, gee, thanks. Listen to what he says. You were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Now, if I just read that to you and dismissed us, how would the rest of your day go? Not too good. But this is part of the gospel. The good news of Jesus brings to light the nature of who we are and how we are apart from Christ. Paul writes here of the hopelessness of death. And we see in Scripture time and time again, death is both a final state, but also uh, an ongoing way of living. Now it tells us here that, that death uh, not only is a physical death, although that's part of it, but is a, it is a, an eternal uh, separation, an eternal uh, not being with the Lord, uh, is, is the ultimate end of sin and trespasses. But Paul writes here to tell us that death is not only a final state, but it's kind of a, a way of living that leads you to that. Look what he says here. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But then he says this, in which, in once you, uh, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So Paul says here, look, you are by nature children of wrath. You are dead in your trespasses. The, the wickedness that you have personally and in your culture uh, bring you to death. But it's not only a state, it's, a, it's an action. You are walking in, this, uh, walking in this way of death. Nowadays it's pretty... Popular, this seems to have been in recent years, a resurgence of of zombie culture. Um, There's zombie movies all the time that that come out right and left. Uh, You probably, I mean, even The Walking Dead is one of the most famous shows on TV right now. Um, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies is a book that you can pick up at the book tavern. People are taking classic literatures and inserting zombies in there. Uh, Shaun of the Dead is probably the best zombie movie ever. Um, And it comes on TV like all the time. Uh, and the thing about zombies is, is they're not like dead, they're, they're undead, but they're not, they're not alive, you know what I mean? Like if somebody's dead, they, they, their body is a corpse and you put them in the ground and they're, and they're gone. And if they're living, they are doing things that bring life, but zombies are, are undead, right? I mean, they, they chase you to do whatever zombies do. Um, and as a kid, the only experience I had with zombies is is from Michael Jackson's Thriller. Like, I thought that was it, you know? And so I thought, hey, zombies aren't so bad. They they dance a little bit and, you know, and do all that. So zombies can't be so bad. But uh, as I got older and I saw other movies, I, I got freaked out. And I can't watch those movies. I mean, I watched 10 minutes of the first episode of Walking Dead and had to turn it off. It just freaks me out. Um, but scripture... In many ways, it's kind of a crude analogy, but Scripture in many ways says that when you walk in your trespasses, following the course of the world, following uh, the prince of the power of air, uh, walking as as a son of disobedience, Paul says in verse 3, among whom we all once lived. And so there's this kind of, uh, when you were walking in the way of death, you were kind of the undead living, because you were walking in a way that is contrary to the joy of the life of we have in christ in the gospel now we look at the beginning of the bible god created everything out of nothing he creates man and woman to walk in fellowship with him and with each other but we know sin and brokenness and rebellion uh, severs that relationship everything comes unraveled at that point point. and from all throughout genesis to uh throughout the old testament we see that, that time and time again god's people are walking in disobedience walking carrying out the desires of flesh and, and this is what scripture describes for us you know he says, you are following the course of this world. So that means apart from Christ, it's the natural course we all will go. It's, it's the nature of, of humanity to rebel and to walk uh, following the course of the world. He says, you are following the prince of the power of air. That's, that's Satan. Right? So if we're not walking in step with Jesus, we're walking in step with Satan. There's no in between. There's no, hey, I mean, I'm not going to follow Jesus, but I can... Kind of do this thing, and it's okay, right? No. Uh, You are walking, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of air, which is Satan. And listen to this. Living in the passions of flesh, the desires of the body and mind. It's a pretty heavy indictment if we see that what Scripture teaches us here is that being trapped in our trespasses... We are in a hopeless state of death, both as a final state and a way that we choose to live because we are chasing the desires, the passions of the flesh, desires of the body and the mind. Basically what Paul's is saying is what you are doing is chasing what you think, do, and believe. So I want us to pause for a minute as we look at scripture and see, just kind of assess where we are as individuals. Assess where you are in your marriage. I want us to pause for a minute and say and assess where we are as a church, as a community of believers. And I want us to look, take a good look in our mirror, in the mirror of, of our character, of our culture, of our traditions and upbringing. And are we finding the pattern of the way in which we walk in step with the gospel? Or are we finding that the way in which we walk, we are chasing? The passions of our flesh, the desires of our body and mind are we is what charts the course for our day-to- day life an attempt to fulfill some physical sensual void we have is it an attempt to Fill some uh, ideal that we have in our minds of what things should be like. Is it? Are we chasing these things? Because Scripture tells us here: Is this? If you were pursuing the passions of your flesh, the desires of your body and mind, if if you were doing these things, uh, you are following the course of this world. You are following the prince of the power of air. You are following Satan. Now you may be like Jeremy. That's a little harsh. It's a little rough to say, hey, look, I'm a good person. I mean, I'm pursuing this good career. I'm making some good money. I'm trying to do nice things for nice people. I'm getting this great education. Let me tell you, there's nothing wrong with that. But if if that is your sole motivation in life, uh, you may not be in step with the gospel. You may be in step with the course of the world and following the prince of the power of air. Because the effect of being the walking dead is that it perpetuates brokenness in yourself and in others. This sounds pretty harsh. But I think if we take a good look at who we are and how we are, not only the culture in which we live, but how we live our lives personally and in our families, I think we uh, should be rightfully alarmed. Because we often find that the things we chase are prompted by our physical desires. What Paul says, the desire, passions of the flesh, the desires of the body and of the mind aren't always in step of the gospel. So we're like zombies chasing each other, using one another to step on each other to find a better way for ourselves when the whole time the gospel tells us there's something better for us. Now, I'm hoping to paint a picture of despair for you. Because if you walk in this room and I tell you that you're a good person, just do better, try harder, have a good day, uh, I've done you no favors. I've just contributed to the brokenness that we have as humans. But what I want us to do is together, as together, as a body of people that, that we're committed to each other and we're looking to God for his grace and his wisdom, see that we are utterly hopeless and broken. Apart from Christ, it takes God's intervention to change us from this old identity. I mean, Paul says you were dead in your trespasses and sins and what you once walked. He, he talks about sons of disobedience. I love verse 3 among whom we all once lived. All of us. It doesn't matter how wicked you are or how brilliant you are. We all, apart from God's intervention, our sons of disobedience, children of wrath, following the course of this world and the course of Satan, just pursuing bodily passions and mindful desires. Right? But thank God verse 4 follows verses 1, 2, and 3. Because our old identity, Paul says, this is where you once walked. You were dead. This was where you were and how you were. But look at verse 4. This is great. So, dead in your trespasses, you once walked, sons of disobedience. Just disgusting, right? But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Friends, burn that verse into your brains. Burn it into your heart. Tattoo it on your body. God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. I love this verse. This changes everything. Uh, When when I was wrestling through being a wicked, reprobate sinner over a decade ago and and trying to reconcile that with this great religious heritage of my family and culture, I was saying, how do these two things go together? I'm this wicked sinner, a liar. Uh, 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 I won't lay out my sins for you, but there's a few. I had a character flaw or two. And I said, okay, this is how I am. That's that's gross. But hey, at least I come from a good family in a city that, that has more churches than people. Right? Let's go plant one there. Good idea. So, trying to marry these two things. And then I'm reading Ephesians 2 in the late 90s. Through my late 90s punk rock lens. And I get to this verse. It makes me weep. God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. When we were dead in our trespasses made us alive, together with Christ, by grace, you have been saved. Friends, the good news of the gospel is you know you are no longer defined by the trespasses and sins of your past. You are no longer defined by the trespasses and sins of your culture or of your family or of your city. You were defined by the grace, love, and mercy of God in Christ. And don't let that just fly over your head, right? That changes everything. Because if you're like me, it's very easy to say, okay, what are the sins and trespasses of our culture? Okay, there's this, there's this, there's this. That kind of defines me because I'm Augusta born in bred, right? No. What are the sins and trespasses of my character? I mean, here's... Relationships that have been severed. Here's times where I've dropped the ball. Here's times where I've just done something dumb. I no longer defines you. You were defined by the grace and mercy and love of God. See, the grace of God is, is His character, His mercy, His love. I would encourage you to search Scripture, search the Old Testament. I mean, if you have a, a you can get. ESV online, you know, dot org. Just get on there and just type in grace and see what pops up. Type in mercy, see what pops up. Type in love. And you will find that grace, mercy, and love are the defining characteristics of his never-ending, never-ceasing, unstoppable pursuit of his wayward people. From Genesis to Revelation, God's people, time and time again, look him in the face and say, we know you're our creator, but we're going to go love your creation more. We know that you're our father, but we're going to love ourselves more. We know uh, that you want us to worship you, but we're going to worship everything else other than you. And God says, uh, I have great grace, mercy, and love, and I'm going to chase you down. And this changes everything. Because God is not saying you were defined by the sins and transgressions of your past. You're defined by my grace, love, and mercy. Now, this would wreck somebody in the first century culture of Ephesus, where this letter was written. When when Paul writes to them and says, hey, the the wicked paganism of your culture is not what defines you, but the grace, love, mercy of God. Nor would he say, look, you need to get up to speed with, with, with the religious culture of the day, which is good. I mean, there was, a, there was a Jewish culture in the time that, that, that taught the Bible, that taught the Old Testament, and there was great traditions that were good. I mean, they, they served the poor. But God says, don't, don't get caught up with that. I mean, that's, that's all good. That, that whole thing exists to point to Jesus. So let's just not go this avenue to get, you know, don't go around your elbow to get over here, but go, but go straight to the gospel, straight to the cross. That God, by his character and mercy of grace, a uh, character of mercy, grace, and love, his covenant faithfulness to his wayward people. It's not by your own doing. It's not by your wickedness. It's not by your goodness. Since we're talking about zombies and such, one movie I would say is pretty good is I Am Legend. Have you seen this? With Will Smith? Almost anything Will Smith in is awesome, I would just say. I mean, I'm a big fan. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Anyone? Now this movie is pretty. I mean, it's kind of freaky. I just those kind of things just freak me out. But but we watched this movie several years ago, and uh, it's a great picture. It's a great display of the gospel, because here you have this this one man who is sticking it out, and just the dregs of humanity. Everybody has like been infected by this disease to make them zombies, right? And this one man stays. He he doesn't retreat. He stays in that wicked culture. It's, to remedy it. Right? I mean, if you know the story, uh, he, he is trying to find a, a cure to inoculate this disease to, to make everybody well again. I mean, this is his whole goal. I'm going to spoil the end of the movie, so plug your ears for the next 90 seconds if you haven't seen it. I mean, it's an old movie, so come on. Um, what he does is there's, there's some people he ends up connecting with, and they're trying to stay safe in this little safe room, and he's found the cure, but these zombies are are caving in and about to kill some people. And so he knows the only way he can save that group of people is to sacrifice himself. But before he does, he says, here's the cure that will save everybody. And he gives it to the girl and says, you need to take this to where everybody else is so that they can replicate it and save all of humanity. And so what he does is he sacrifices himself to save a handful of people that then can spread this good news of inoculation and save all of humanity. That's a beautiful portrait of the Gospel because in the same way, Jesus Christ steps into our wicked human history. He doesn't retreat. He voluntarily leaves his heavenly realm and says, I'm going to step into this human history for a couple decades, and I'm going to proclaim and display the good news that God is rich in grace, love, and mercy. And Jesus spends a couple decades of his life doing that and then ultimately says, I have the cure for the problem of sin and trespasses. I have the cure for the pride of of self-sufficiency. This is good news for all of humanity, but before I send it through my apostles to reach the world, I'm going to sacrifice myself so that there can be true freedom, true grace, true love, true mercy, true reconciliation and restoration between God and man and between mankind and each other. And that's exactly what he does. Jesus dies a death on the cross after living a life that is a perfect life that we should live but can't. He dies a death as a sacrifice, as our substitute, taking away the sin and death and effects thereof. And commissioning his apostles after he comes back to life, commissions his apostles to take this good news to the world. We're sitting here today because they did that. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, they went from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Augusta is the ends of the earth, okay? And this is great news. That God, our creator, rich in love, grace and mercy, comes to our rescue. That Jesus remedies the brokenness of sin and death, sacrificing himself so that we may be free to spread the cure. Now, I love how chapter 2 says, look, you were here, here's your old identity, dead in your trespasses and sins, children of wrath, but God's rich in grace, love, and mercy. You've been saved by grace. Look what happens next. This is beautiful. Let's start at verse 4 again. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. I love that. Alive together. Like he made you alive by yourself. Or us alive over here. But he said, we are alive together with Christ. Right. Jesus came to save you. Yes, he did. But he came to save us too. And we're together. And we're with Christ. It's important. He didn't come to save just you to be with Jesus. He didn't come to save just us to be together and doing our own thing. He saved us to be together and with Jesus. Okay. By grace you have been saved. Verse 6 He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I love this because this is all an act of God. It is all out of God's good character. It is all out of the work of Jesus, not our own work. We're not commanded to remedy our own sickness. We're not commanded to figure out the antibiotic to cure this. Jesus does it for us. And then takes it. I mean, this is what, what I love. Before Christ, you're dead. You were walking in the course of the world. You were following the prince of the power of the air. You're sons of disobedience. You once lived there, pursuing the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Ugh, horrible. But in Christ, by His grace, by God's grace, we are then raised up with Him, seated with Him in heavenly places, so that we can have the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us. I mean, do you see the difference? Do you see that in Christ, we have riches of God lavished upon us for generations? That we are no longer walking this way, but we're seated with Christ. We are no longer uh, following this course, but we're following the course of Christ. I mean, what, what Scripture tells us here is that in Christ we are raised up, we are seated in the heavenly places, and we have the riches of His grace and kindness lavished upon us. I mean, to be raised up means we experience coming back from death to life. Now, that's not just, okay, you'll die one day physically, you will, all of us will unless Jesus comes back before, but we will all physically die, and the promise of Scripture is that we will be with Him for eternity alive, and that's good news. But the way Paul is writing this here is not just about that. He's saying here and now, you are no longer in this walking dead state. You've been brought back to life to walk in a new way of living. Okay, it has two meanings there. Yes, you will be not dead forever, but you'll be alive in eternity with Jesus. Yeah, but also, you are not going to walk in the way of death now, but you're going to walk in the way of life now. Okay, you're not going to pursue the passions of your flesh and your body and your minds. You're not going to walk in the sins and transgressions of your culture or your personal struggles. But you're going to walk in the way of Christ because he has raised you from death to life. He has regenerated you from having a dead heart to a beating heart with life from having a reprobate mind to a renewed mind, to having a rebellious spirit, to a spirit that walks in step with Christ. It says he has seated us in the heavenly places. This means not only we will share eternity with Christ, but also, you know, we don't have thrones anymore, really. But there's an imagery of a king sitting on a throne who has all authority, all dominion, created everything, rules everything, reigns everything, can restore everything is what he's doing. And so for us to be seated with Christ is not, oh, so we rule everything? No. It means that we share in the opportunity of bringing restoration to this broken world. It means there is an active component of life and living. Just like death is not only a state, death is a way of following passions and following Satan, and following the course of the world. Life is a way of, of following the way of Jesus to bring restoration and good news to a broken world. So if you have been made... I mean, good grief, let's just go ahead and do that one too. That's all done. <laughs> Sorry. Um, the good news is that we have an opportunity to be actively involved in the spreading of the good news of Jesus. The the proclaiming and displaying the restoration that the gospel has. You know, God didn't save you just so you could smile and be happy. It's part of it. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to experience ultimate joy. But he also wants us to step out into a world full of the walking dead and bring the inoculation that he secured for us and say, look, this is, this is what you need to know. This is the gospel. Let me, let me proclaim it to you, but let me also display the effects of this good news in the way in which I live. Because when Christ raises you from death to life, it's not only an eternal thing, which it is, but it's also a here and now. And when, when God raises you, seats you in the heavenly places, it's eternity with Christ, yes, but it's also the, the, the empowerment to take part in the restoration of a broken world here and now. He promises that the riches of his grace and kindness will be lavished upon us. It says immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You can't even measure it. I mean, it's just so abundant. So friends, as you think about this good news, and as you meditate on the scripture, I would, I would just encourage you, I mean, this is one of the key chapters that God just like destroyed my hard heart over a decade ago so I'd encourage you to, to read these verses today and we're going to continue more in verse 8 through 10 next week if, about what grace is oh. search scripture meditate on this, pray on this and I want to ask you I mean, I mean where is your, your hope I mean do you even have a fair assessment of how broken you are Many of us don't even know it. It's like, well, I'm a pretty good person. Apart from Christ, you're a son of disobedience, child of wrath, chasing the passions of your flesh, body and mind. Like everyone else. I mean, that's the good news. The scriptures, hey, we're all like that. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm like that. Apart from Christ, that's exactly how I was. I thought it was all about me, but it's about all of us, all of mankind. is like that. So have a fair assessment of where you are. And be honest with yourself. And be honest with your spouse and your family. And be honest with your missional community. You say, look, I I know Christ saved me by his grace and he called me to life, but I'm still chasing these things. Walking like a zombie and not someone who's been raised to life. I want us to hope in Christ. He is the object of our affection and our worship because he saves us. We have a new identity that prompts new actions. So let's say this. Here at Redemption Church, we often talk about gospel, community, and mission. And we sometimes ramble those three words off, and I never want those to be like, okay, gospel, community, mission. We hear it all the time. The gospel is the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. It's the good news that we see in verse 4, is that God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And so, may this good news uh, change who you are, how you are, your motivations. When you get up tomorrow to go to work, may you be motivated motivated by this good news. When you uh, tuck your kids in tonight, may you be motivated by this good news. When you relate to your spouse, may you be motivated by this good news. If you're single and you're dating somebody, may this good news motivate you. When you go to school tomorrow, may this good news motivate you. That's the gospel. The community is, is who we are together. We are changed. We're no longer children of wrath and sons of disobedience. No, we are heirs with Christ. I mean, that's why I love that verse 4 says, we, He's made us alive together with Christ. I mean, God is making a new community of people. And so how you relate to each other is a display of this good news. Do you believe this good news or not? Because often we fail to believe that the gospel is enough to sustain a community. And we have people say, you know, gospel's not enough. I need something else. And they dip out. Well, they're failing to believe this. I mean, if we've been gathered together by Christ, we should be an unstoppable community. there should be nothing we can't do together in relationship with one another. There should be no misunderstanding that can't be Reconciled with the gospel. Because it's good news. I mean, it's Christ that saved us by his grace and mercy and love, not how eloquent my speech is or how much you can sweep it under the rug. No. I mean, this is a work of God. And so I encourage you this week, if you were in a missional community, uh, gather with that community that God has ordained for you to be in. And talk about the gospel. Right? But thirdly, we talk about mission. And mission is being stewards of the inoculation that the gospel brings the the antibodies that we need to not be sons of disobedience and children of wrath and be dead in our trespasses. And friends, the mission of this church is to take that good news to every man, woman, and child on the planet. It's tall order, right? Yes. Here's a start. Take that good news to your spouse. Take that good news to your children. Take that good news to your coworker and your neighbor and your roommate and your fellow students. Take that good news to each other in this room. Take that good news to the children we have in our Redemption Kids ministry. We would love for you to volunteer over there and take the good news to those children. Take the good news to um, the passerby on the street. Let's do it together in community with the gospel. Is that fair? Okay. Well, let me pray. Uh, Father God, thank you so much for who you are and what you've done for us. God, I pray that uh, you would be stirring up our hearts and minds even now. God, I pray that you would bring to mind the sins and trespasses that have defined us. But God, that you would have us embrace the good news that in Christ we are no longer defined by those sins and trespasses. God, help us have a real assessment of who we are apart from you and how we live apart from you. And in turn, may we respond in faith, relational trust in who you are and what you've done for us, and cling to the promise that in Christ we are redeemed, we have been regenerated to life, that we are seated in the heavenly places with Christ, both for eternity and and now as we steward this good news. God, I thank you for my friends and family in this room. God, the way that you are at work in us and through us, God, how you speak your truth through our mouths to each other. Um, and God, how you, uh, how you stir us up to good works in light of this good news. So Lord, I pray now that we would have a spirit of humility, of repentance, of worship, of joy, and of action. Pray in all things that you receive all the glory and that we wouldn't receive the joy and that the good news would ripple out from this congregation. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.